0: indeed actually a category that g2 recently created so we were actually uh, collaborating with them about the category creation so uh, yeah i invite our you know listeners to to check out the category and you know check out the grid and you'll see leaders uh, as get accepted
1: we all strive for more nowadays more traffic more revenue more growth In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis.
2: Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs webmaster tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com slash awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SAS SEO. So, I'm your host, George Casiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Thomas Igu, who is the head of content at Get Accept. Thomas, welcome to the
0: show. Thank you for having me, George.
2: So, before we get started, as we do with every guest here at the SAS SEO, show, could you please share a couple of things about you and your background?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think the Uh, Well, the thing about me that gets the most intrigue every time uh, from a personal perspective is that I have five kids. (laughs) Um, I am French. I lived in the US my whole uh, teenage years and I've now been living in Stockholm for 13 years and I've been uh, at Accept for about a year and a half.
2: Okay, I think that Pretty summarizes everything, uh, yeah. your, your whole journey. Uh, so, what is Get Accept? Uh, who, who's using the product and who gets the most value?
0: Yeah. So, Get Accept is what we call a digital sales room platform. And I think we'll go a bit more into DSR as the acronym when we talk a bit more about category creation. But uh, what the platform does is it helps salespeople to win more deals by creating the best virtual buying and selling experience from uh, sales qualified leads to a customer. So really, if you think about uh, instead of having a mess of different email threads, PDF attachments, links, slide decks, videos, proposals, uh, e-signatures, agreements, all through email, the DSR is a one-link kind of a microsite or a centralized location where the sales reps and the customer communicate, share content, collateral agreements, proposals, quotes, uh, where you can also invite other stakeholders into the room. So it's uh, it's a centralized location to to close more deals really. Okay. And So the, the main users are um, sales reps.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I have two questions here. The first, is uh, like it sounds to me with all these different use cases that um or to to put it differently i will i will start with my second question would yeah. you say then that what you do um the fact that you touch on so many different use cases would you say that this is category creation uh it's it's a new category because you also me- mentioned digital uh sales room which i saw is a category that exists i didn't know that it exists in in g2 and I would like to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a category creation in two sense. So one, uh, because it is indeed actually a category that G two recently created. So we were actually uh, collaborating with them about the category creation. So uh, yeah, I invite our you know listeners to to check out the category and you know check out the grid, and you'll see leaders uh, as get accept. Um, But it's also a category creation from a product perspective because it's not something that really existed in the market previously. So what we do has a combination of many features that you can find uh, in other categories. So, of course, for example, ourselves for a long time before the DSR category existed, we found ourselves in multiple different categories because we provide e-signature. So we were competing with the Panda Docs and DocuSigns as an e-signature solution. But then when our customers got the product, they saw we could do a lot more. So we were also in proposal management or contract management and video and chat because we offer a lot of tools to personalize the experience between the reps and the buyers so you have a chat function you have a video function when you send your proposal and these kind of things so uh, i think what the dsr category does is it kind of streamlines or centralizes this kind of new feature or kind of yeah new solution into one category which makes it much easier for us because when we were talking about our solution before people thought it was a lot of different solutions so you could get either the video and chat or this and that they didn't really grasp that it was one kind of centralized solution everything into one
2: i would like to dive a bit deeper into that if you don't mind and ask for people who you know may listening and may be interested in creating a new category two, because it would make things easier for them uh, how does the process process works like are you like do you reach out to uh, g2 and ask them and explain the situation that you know what we are playing in different categories and uh, we also happen to have a name for what we do and we would love to have a new category created by you uh, how does that work exactly
0: yeah i mean it, it goes uh, a bit above my paycheck as well i mean it's um It's a lot of networking. To be fairly honest, our founders who went through the Y Combinator in in Silicon Valley have you know a lot of connections. And when it comes, so it's it's networking connections. You know, using your network really. That that's on one side doing it directly with G two. Um, it's a bit of sponsorship as well. Um, then there's also the fact of when it comes to the name of the category in itself we actually didn't even know what it was going to be called until it was officially released by g2 because there are uh so gartner has also done a research paper on digital uh, sales rooms even before the category was announced by uh, g2 and there is you know different um companies who call it different things so we call it digital sales room thankfully g2 went with that option for the category but there's also deal room virtual sales room so even from a <clears throat> naming perspective which has huge impact on keyword research and seo later on we kind of you know had to wait before we went full on with our content creation because we didn't know which road it would take um so even that was quite interesting as well like the waiting game of you know which one will it
2: Yeah, I understand. And I didn't know that it works, you know, kind of like this. And at the same time, I didn't know that, obviously, because I'm not in sales, uh, (laughs) I didn't know that uh, there are different things, there are different ways of, like, uh, calling, let's say, uh, this, this category, Uh, some of them you you already mentioned. Uh, But that's, that's really interesting. And I would like to know from the moment you you locked let's say uh the name of the category and now you're the leader of of this category like have you seen an actual impact on how mostly i I want to understand mostly on how you're perceived by potential customers uh, who are evaluating solutions
0: (laughs) i mean it's um Hard to track, number one, because, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I check on SEMrush, for example, search volume month over month. So, of course, we see metrics or you can search, you know, Google search console, these kind of things. So, so we see that there is, you know, more impressions, higher search volume, Uh, you can search on social media as well, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Reddit, you know, are people talking about it uh, on on socials and stuff like that, so, so, of course, we see more fraction but uh it it takes time so the category was launched uh yeah about about a year ago even less so it's not you know overnight everyone's gonna start talking about it unless we you know spent millions of dollars doing a super bowl commercial uh, which we're not really planning at the moment so it's a lot of educating what we via what we call wedges in So, you know, DSR has different features. So say, for example, one of them is electronic signature. So we keep talking about electronic signature, bringing an audience interested in electronic signature that fits our persona and ICP. And then once they're hooked in, then we go in and explain, well, how that fits in within the whole digital sales room aspect. But uh, to only talk about digital sales room, obviously, you know, other than us, our competitors and g 2 and Gartner, you know, (laughs) there is not that many people yet, you know, Googling what is a digital sales room. So you need to understand what are they looking for that actually the digital sales room is the answer for. And so that is via the different wedges and as we call it. I, I,
2: I think that's smart. And it makes sense. Like you have to go to like approach it through something that's already known and people um, have verbalized, they, they know that this is the solution to a problem that I have. And so you you approach it through the use case and then you get them in. And once you get them in, you let them know that, you know what, this is just one thing that you are looking for. There are so many other things that we happen to call digital salesroom and at the same time, we happen to be the leader in this category, in one of the yeah. most trustworthy, uh, let's say, review sites for software companies.
0: Yeah. Then you do have, on the flip side, being the the creator of the category, being the leader of the category, we do see it upon ourselves to, uh, you know, to to hold the torch and really be the ones educating. You know, the world as in within our, our persona and ICP, you know, what is a DSR so that people, even if they, they don't know what it is, that they start hearing the term, the acronym, what it is, what it does and, and start being intrigued by it. So that's, uh, because if we never push it, then no one else is going to push it. So there is also a lot of work around just brand awareness around the category. And that means, Collaborating with partner companies, you know, really spreading the word, doing a lot of campaigns on social media through email marketing and these kind of things. So, just tomorrow, for example, or the day after tomorrow, we have um, a webinar in the US that we're doing with G2, where, you know, it's purely brand awareness. What is uh, digital sales room talking about the history of the category creation and these kind of things? So, it's not product centric, it's really about the term and the creation of the category. So we have a
2: an SDR, uh, a, a DSR for SDRs, uh, as I understand
0: it. And my, you know, <coughs> just to correct you there very quickly, it's actually more for AES than SDRs. Okay. So the the, the digital sales room really starts from once you've identified a prospect and you're going to have you know a first meeting. So usually it's. You kind of open the digital sales room after the SDR has done the discovery call and is handing it over to the account executive. Oh, okay. And okay. Then okay. it so it's it really aligns with the AE sales process. So it's from his first or her first interaction with a, a prospect, all the way to closing the deal.
2: So DSR for A's. Uh, let's say. Let's say yeah. it. Um, I always thought, and I would like to hear your thoughts on that that salespeople uh, as an audience is a very tough audience to to sell to. Even though I think that deep down they want to believe that there is something you know better that can help them sell more, uh, that can help them close more deals and so on. But at the same time, I think that they are the type of audience that can uh, sense BS from a mile away. And that my question is, how do you ensure that your content actually resonates uh, with your audience um and is not considered you know fluffy and superficial and something that was written by someone who is
0: you know who who has no sense about sales yeah well i mean there's a a couple of things to to kind of answer on that is uh and from a personal perspective i actually think being in the SaaS industry it's much easier for me to you know, to work in a company where I'm either selling to marketeers or sales uh, only because there is a lot of personal experience I could bring to in my content. Whereas if I worked for a company that was saying, you know, cyber security or those kind of things, I have no idea about IT security. You know, today we got a Slack message that we need to updates or Apple computers because there was a security breach and I need to ask how do I do that because completely ignorant on that but uh, I think you need to exactly you need to resonate with your audience and I mean I'm not in sales but I did work in sales earlier in my career so I do have personal experience and when i did it it was you know 12 13 years ago so it was really boiler room type we actually didn't even have computers on our desk we just had a phone with printed papers with the script and leads printed from like excel Uh, so i can definitely relate to the change today where there are so many tools available to you know automate and facilitate um You know a daily salesperson's life but then also the other part is i mean we are a sales company you know the biggest department in the company is the sales team so we have so many resources available to utilize in-house to resonate with our audience and we do that all the time Uh, if i need to write a blog post about something and i'm not sure then i have you know 70 people that i can interview get quotes from even without reaching externally to you know customers prospects or whatever so i think that helps a lot because then we use our uh, sales colleagues in our marketing channels and communication to resonate with the audience so then it's sales talking to sales directly so and whether organic or paid channels
2: and i assume that uh, your sales team like
0: they must be using the tool as well, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they use it on a daily basis. So actually so, now we're doing user research about you know how the tool is being used as a digital sales room. And the first people we're doing the research with uh, is our own salespeople because they're the ones who know it the best, who use it the most. So yeah.
2: They are your, your power users, let's say. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's great. That's very interesting. Uh, I think it's the first time I hear something like that uh, here at the Satsiya. So-, so, now I would like to discuss content strategy a bit. Um, can yeah. you please describe the main the main pillars of your content strategy? For example, yeah. it must be it may be content for a search audience or content, as we call it at Minusia, the yeah. podcast that you have, uh, and also I would like to hear if you have any learning so far um, about. On marketing and by implementing this 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 strategy
0: yeah i mean the the main strategy or say if you want to have like a purpose or or tagline is really um organic for high intent so that means we want to create uh content regardless of the format or the channels that resonates with our audience and that will bring traffic to us and whether that's directly on the website or you know on our linkedin accounts or whatever uh, channel so so that's really the number one then when it comes to more Uh, going into, you know, more details of how or what exactly we do it. It's, it's a lot of testing, tweaking, trial and error. So yeah, when I started, one of the first things I did was launch a podcast. And so, you know, I make sure the guests are not necessarily customers, but or personas or ICP, so then it will resonate with the people that we are targeting with. Um, but yeah, the blog, I mean, we're constantly um, trying to to work on, I mean, repurposing, you know, uh, content from webinars or, or podcast webinars is another big uh, kind of uh, thing that we do quite often trying to do events as well. So we sponsor events, we organize ourselves events. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different channels, you know, email marketing, these kind of things. But I think many people already know these channels. It's just testing them, tweaking them, seeing what works best for you. Some people, you know, want to be really funny. Some people want to be very educational. You can be a a bit of a mix. You can, yeah. It seems to me a bit difficult, especially
2: for uh, like sales and let's say all the different use cases, uh, digital sales from a site, all the different use cases that the product covers. It seems to be a bit tricky because I I assume that all these let's say use cases and categories, or however you want to call them, they're pretty saturated and like competition, at least from an organic standpoint, may be very intense there. Uh, So I would say that like. I would assume that you have, okay, you can do that, but you have to do something else as well because, like, that's it can't be just SEO, let's say, in
0: your case. No, it cannot be just SEO. And I mean, just from an SEO perspective, obviously, you need to. Uh, to mix it up between uh, obviously you'll have some keywords that have high search volume but are thus, you know, very competitive. But then you have uh, finding more the niche keywords that maybe have lower search volume but are not competitive at all or more long form keywords. uh, But even, you know, competitive keywords, if you really focus on them, it is doable. And we see it, you know, when we kind of lock in on, okay, we want to focus on this keyword, then we create a mini content plan for that keyword to really, you know, beef it up. And we we work a lot with the web team and the brand team to redesign the pages and stuff like that. So we see um, traction i'm not going to say quite easily but you know if you put in the efforts you get the results it just you cannot put in efforts on you know thousands of keywords at once um but it's also we're doing a lot of work on that right now so we're migrating to cms to kind of restructure the the site architecture and and these kind of things so it's uh, it's because it's also you know keyword is one thing you have more technical seo from the web perspective that also has a high impact um but yeah I mean. Then you have a lot of other channels just working with partners. I think it's something that everyone could do a lot more because you can, you know, hammer, you know, your database or your kind of email list as much as you want. But I think collaboration with companies that kind of target similar audiences but are not direct competitors—that's one thing that a lot of people should do a lot more. Uh, yeah,
2: I agree. Uh, I don't want to give away too much. I I hope our competitors don't listen to this episode, but <laughs> uh, we have like double, triple down on uh, partnerships and con-, con collaborations, and you know everything in that spectrum, and the results are just you know astonishing. Uh, I I really do think that finding ways to collaborate with other companies at the same like at the end of the day you want the same things to. The same thing. The main objective is to grow. Uh, it's it's one of the smartest decisions you can make, and at the same time, it's I would say it's it's cost efficient as well. Like yeah. it, do, it doesn't cost the same as like running paid ads or anything no. of that sort.
0: So I, no. I I agree with you on that. I mean, um, you you have content syndication platforms where, of course, you need to pay to be part of, but then you can always find mutually beneficial. You know companies to collaborate with where you know it will cost you nothing uh, it will be you know they write a blog post for you you write a blog post for them it can be as simple as stats or it could be a lot more doing you know webinars together uh, email newsletters cross collaboration these kind of things so i mean it's just to be as flexible and open-minded as possible and yeah. make sure, making sure you're targeting companies that will have a relevant audience for you
2: yeah, there has to be an audience overlap, obviously. Yeah. Uh, now, I would like to, to focus on the con that you have on the website and uh, ask something that I, I would like the answer You know, m- myself, first of all, uh, to to know how, how you approach it. Uh, on your website, you have four different content hubs, one of them sales enab- enablement hub. And my question is, how do you decide what content will go in each hub and what content will
0: go in your blog or you know, yeah. Any other section of the website? It's um. I mean, I can give you the direct answer of why and how we have these four hubs. Uh, so three of them um, re existed before I started at Get Accept. So it's more. Uh, you can kind of see them more as an evolution of our sol- of our solution or platform. So sales enablement, because when we started that's what we categorize ourselves as get accept is a sales enablement platform Uh, remote selling because that was niching down a bit more and also with the whole pandemic situation it was a good keyword to rank on because everyone was working remotely and actually that hub is ranking very well Uh, it's on page one of google Um, and then we have uh, the electronic signature which was more niche, and it's what we see kind of our most popular feature in the past couple of years from a customer perspective a lot of people are finding us via e-signature and then the digital sales room hub is the one that we created last we created it last summer and so that's how these four happened what i can say about the hubs is I actually don't really like how our hubs are structured. Actually, so um, yeah, we we actually as we're migrating to uh, a CMS, we uh, it's it's a long-term project for kind of Q1, but we've already now started with kind of initial planning and and how the website will be structured. So we actually had a, a very long workshop last week with the web team the product marketing team and our ceo uh which you know shows the company's involvement in content and and this kind of thing um and and one of the things we discussed actually was restructuring the hubs because the way they are now it's actually very static content uh, very time consuming to create because it's templated landing pages so that means before you can launch one hub you need to have all the sub content already ready and prepared in advance and the only dynamic part is all the way at the bottom you have a section pulling blog posts from the blog that are categorized as the hub category so that is uh, so we're not adding a lot of new content in the hubs other than when we create a new blog post about digital sales room then it will pop up there but uh That is only one very small segment at the bottom so it's and if we want to create new content then we need to restructure the template so we need to involve the design team and the web team so it's very time consuming for everyone so we're looking into creating more dynamic pages that might be more like a a blog page that's like an ultimate guide where it's more uh, much easier than i can do it myself directly in HubSpot and I don't need to involve other teams. So then we will probably have a lot more hubs about a lot more keywords that we want to target, uh, but it'll be more flexible and more dynamic and less time consuming for the team.
2: I agree with that. And this is something that as as an, as a, as an agency, we, we see with our clients, the fact that in most cases, you have more control, editorial control over the blog. You know, you you don't have to involve yep. any developers or anyone yep. like maybe a designer, even though, you know, that's not always the case. While if you want to create uh, a new like section of the website, uh, a new topic cluster, for example, or a hub or whatever. Well, you may need uh, development time. And in most cases, unfortunately, create taking or requesting development time for content initiatives. Is not something that companies do. Uh, so I, I get you, and you know, sameless plug. But uh, you should check out uh, a case study that we published. I don't know, a couple of months ago, on a hub that we bu- that we built on product launch. You know, the topic, the general topic was product launch. Yeah, a hub that we did on um, viral loops, which is a, a a client of ours, uh, and the results were just astonishing. Uh, yeah. No hardcore design or anything. Um, just very good execution um on both sides and you know it's it's one of the main drivers of of traffic for the website right now it's, yeah. it's going tremendously well but of course the yeah. thing is that you know con creation is is one thing um and we pay too much attention to to con creation but we often forget content promotion and making sure that the content we create is distributed and I would yeah. like to know what you and your team does like on a con promotion level uh, how does your con distribution plan change for example based on the con format because i can assume that you have a different plan um for a con and that's con piece that's created for a search audience vs uh, an original piece of con the study a survey or whatever
0: um yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's um i mean again there also you have different layers because i think there is uh, a lot of different terms that people kind of interchange, but actually mean different things. So you have, you know, promotion or distribution or repurposing, but then they don't necessarily mean the same thing. I mean, if I, if I create a blog post, I want to promote it. That's one thing. Basically, it means I want to drive traffic to that blog post. If I want to repurpose it, it's different. Basically it means I want to cut it up, use, you know, a small part of the blog post and create a series of LinkedIn posts. But then the goal there is not necessarily to drive traffic back to the blog post. It's more to showcase that same thought leadership I showcase in the blog post, but showcase it on LinkedIn. And, you know, on LinkedIn, you know, the less links you put, the better. So it's even better not to put a link back to the blog post. So it's also, first off, it's different things. Repurposing, it means you have one piece of content and you use it on different channels, but you're not redirecting traffic back to the original source necessarily. Um so also people need to keep that in mind because sometimes... I hear a lot about, oh, repurpose. Yeah, we have a blog post. Let's repurpose on different channels to bring traffic back. But then you're missing the point because the point is you want to showcase leadership to your audience on LinkedIn. Doesn't matter. The blog post exists. Ignore it completely. Um, when it comes to promotion, I mean, we've struggled with that a lot like everyone else. Obviously, we have the most common or traditional channels, uh, you know, social media, email, you know, partners, these kind of things. But uh, what I'm trying to do is kind of mix it up. First off, what I did over the summer is just create a uh, A spreadsheet of all the distribution channels that we have in the company. So that means actually reaching out to people because I think one of the most forgotten ones is communities or forums. You know, myself, I'm on like six or seven different Slack communities for, you know, content marketeers or, you know, digital marketing or whatever. So, uh, and ourselves, we have so many salespeople and so many people in the marketing team that are part of. Communities for salespeople like uh, Rev Genius, Pavilion, Sales Hacker, these kind of things. So that's, I would say, today, like dark social, if you want to call it, best way to to distribute content. And every community will have like a shameless promo channel, so you can just throw your thing out there. You know, it's stupid, but it's like super simple and easy. Uh, then you can have different things getting the sales people you know give them a good blog post and they can share it with their network and their prospects because they also want to show that they know their shit so you know sharing content is the best way to build trust and start build relationships with people so uh, i would say it's less into I mean you you need to mix it up but don't think about just like the big database lists that you can have like email or your corporate account on linkedin or twitter but more the you know more smaller one-to-one like okay well john in sales has a good network on linkedin maybe he can promote it from his account or he can promote it in these communities he's a part of so it's trying to find these kind of hidden gems that people haven't targeted and then of course always um <laughs> testing <coughs> trying out new things for a long time i was looking into reddit for example it's a very tricky channel now i'm looking quite a lot into me and testing medium and quora uh, as channels for for distribution as well uh, but there is you know depending which audience you're targeting just finding these kind of um, yeah more communities i would say
2: I like that, and I like that because it's not something that, like, definitely we don't often talk about uh, here at the, at, at the SaaS so, But also, I, I I do believe that I also do believe that there is a lot of value in communities, especially Slack communities that you mentioned. Now, I happen to to be part of a few of these communities myself, you know, as a uh, as a marketer, let's say um, that are mostly focused on content uh, and SEO. But I can only assume that there are such communities for sales in your case, uh, or for any other niche um, and um, industry, uh, let's say that um, a company may want to target. So yeah, I I think
0: that I would say actually, you know, if the community doesn't exist, it's even better because then you can just create it. I mean, we're internally talking a lot about community creation and what does it mean to own a community because that's also another word that can have a million different meanings. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of slack communities for sales, but if you're targeting a niche and you know you ask around and you see there's no community for it, then you know, create it yourself. That's even the best. I mean, it'll take a bit of time to build it up, but once it's there and it exists, then you own the channel. Even so,
2: yeah, I, I like it. I like it, and I agree with you. I uh, couldn't agree more about that. I I see a lot of value in communities for for SaaS companies. Now, on a completely different topic, uh, back to the website, I would yeah. like to uh, to discuss something um, with with you with regards to. It seems that you have a main website which has a a .com extension um, and then you target different markets, for example, the French uh, market through translated versions of of some of your pages. Um, I would like to hear your thoughts on localization. What is your overall overall approach uh, to localization? And at the same time, how do you decide what pages you're going to translate and what pages you're not going to translate? Is it merely based on I don't know, keyword research and search volume based on uh, a keyword data provider like AHS or is it something completely different?
0: Yeah, so it's a bit of, um, I'll give you a direct answer, but it'll be a bit of a long answer because it's also about how we are uh, structured as a company. So we have the .com, which uh, obviously it's you know the main website for most of the world, uh, but it primarily targets... The UK and the US markets, because that's where we have, you know, foot on the ground, so to say. We have a sales team dedicated for the UK market and a sales team dedicated for the US market. So anything that we do that is, you know, lead gen or demand gen or however you want to call it, but that will get MQLs in that we can redistribute to sales, then that goes from the dot com for the US and UK. Then we have, um, a big sales team in sweden because we are a swedish based company and um, we have a sales team in denmark in norway and in france so then we have localized websites for these markets so we have a website in swedish in danish norwegian and in french and we have up until last year we had local marketeers for each market so we had um I mean, we have a lot of marketing people that are Swedish in the team, but uh, we had a dedicated marketeer for Denmark, Norway, and France. Since yeah, about a year ago, we kind of transitioned slowly out of Norway, of Norway and Denmark because they were very small audiences. So now it's more like a Nordic approach, but they still have their local websites. And France has two people, one in my team, which is a content marketeer, but for the French market and based in. The same office in Marseille as the French sales team. And then we have a, a marketing, local marketing coordinator who's in the demand gen team, also sitting in the Marseille office. So they have, you know, inter- daily interaction with the sales team. They work as a group, but they're a part of the marketing team as well. Uh, so when it comes to localization, it's a collaboration between both of, you know, on the dot com, we have these pages that are super important. They need to be localized. We don't call it translated because translation is more, you know, word for word. You change from English to French localized, just, you know, explaining for the audience. It's more you have this piece in English and then you adapt it to your local market. So localization could be you take three different blog posts in English and you turn it into one blog post in French or sometimes we create from scratch also in the french market so they write their own original piece of content and sometimes we might even it could be a good piece of content that we translate from french to english and um, if it's you know really good and it could work for the english market as well so uh, and when it comes to more Practical details. So we have local French marketeers who will write content in French. They also work with an SEO agency for the French market. Um, And for Denmark and Norway, it's actually where we are struggling a bit more because we don't have local marketeers. So we're actually, tomorrow, we we just bought a new tool called Localize. It's a localization tool. Uh, It's actually more the product team that bought it, but we're also going to use it from a marketing perspective. So we have our uh, onboarding meeting with them actually tomorrow. Uh, So I haven't used it yet. I don't know how it works and these kind of things, but now we'll be able to uh, do more local content for Norway and Denmark and even use it for the French and English market as well.
2: To be honest, I expect it's like a, a more basic answer, let's say.
0: But yeah. this, this <laughs>
2: sounds like a very sophisticated way of s- structuring teams. We have this uh, here; they are based on the location, and they like this is like well done.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie; it's it's a struggle when we have um, you know very important pages, say like our product pages or these kind of things, where you know before we used to we had this notion or idea that everything had to be ready at once at the same time. So if we're going to do the new product pages, they need to be launched in every market at once because we also felt, you know, if we have the new product page in English, then the Swedish and French and Danish and Norwegian sales teams will be jealous if they don't have them ready. Then we realize it's just too time consuming, super stressful, because then it's so much work for everyone. It means we need to get the English version ready first, super early, so they can be sent to the local markets and localized. Also, you know, the web team and the design team who need to do all the images and all the implementation. URL structure, meta description, all these things, it, it just was very, very stressful. So now we usually do US uh, or like English and Swedish first, because these are two biggest markets from a language perspective. Uh, and then the other markets have a bit more uh, leniency in terms of it could be two weeks or a month later, but um, then they have a bit more time also.
2: Yeah, which is okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, two two weeks or or so is is not something important. So <laughs> no, uh, as as we are running out of time, I w- I would like yeah. to hear uh, you know a couple more questions before we start wrapping things up. The first yeah. one would be, you have vast experience when it comes to uh, content, and um, since you are at a SaaS company that grows pretty rapidly, I would like to know what do you think the future holds for SaaS content and um, SEO? Uh,
0: good question. I, I haven't thought about a good answer, to be honest, but I think it will be, uh, well, as we call it, you know, like our big focus now is efficiency, working smarter, not harder. Uh, so you can kind of take it however you want, but uh, it means Really focusing on on the basics first. You know, so a few mistakes I made when I started get accept is I didn't do a content audit straight away. I waited like nine months before I did it, which was really stupid, to be honest. But once I did it, it was super helpful. Uh, we had a very long project from day one that I started, which took a year, was to. Redo our personas, which were pretty old and outdated since the product had hev- evolved. So these kind of basic things, having a content audit, especially if you're running a content team or you know a website that's been running for a while. We had like over you know 300 blog posts just in English, for example, and then you have all the local market sites and all the product pages, customer testimonials, you know these kind of things. So it's um, yeah, kind of use the resources you have, work with partners, collaboration, no need to kind of like throw money into sponsor the biggest event and this and that, but really uh, focus on, on what will bring results, but also keep time to to test new things, try out stuff, you know, launch a podcast if you don't have one, do it for six months, you can do it in a fast and cheap way as well. And if it doesn't work, drop it or tweak it. But
2: yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense, and I would like to like to take a snippet snippet of your uh, answer, especially for count audits, and share it with prospects and uh, clients so that they can yeah. understand that these things are really important, especially yeah. when you have a an existing count inventory. Um, yeah. Super
0: time consuming, but super important. I mean, yeah. we spent my whole team like a month doing it, and you know, it's tedious work, but it actually. It's like a crash course into your content because you see stuff you hadn't seen because it was written five years ago by one of the founders and it's like an amazing piece that might need just a few tweaks to like rank better or you know so yeah I, I agree with you I agree with you um, so my last question would be
2: what can we expect from Get Accept uh, in the near future anything exciting
0: that you can share with us. Yeah, I mean, I think the exciting journey—we've already started it with the category creation launch um, earlier in the year with G two. So I think, uh, hopefully, you know, you hear about Get Accept, you know, uh, in other different channels, and then you maybe you remember this uh, podcast, and you're like, "Yeah, Get Accept, I know it." But I think it's more, yeah, keep an eye out for Digital Sales Room because it's. Um, i mean not just get accept there is now more and more competitors i mean you know drift came into the the game i know oracle have launched um, a feature as well from part of their crm as well so we see which is you know exciting and of course you know you're like oh big players are coming in but for us it it's exciting because it means you know big companies are looking into this and and want to get into the game so it shows we're doing the right thing, uh, so it's more making sure that you know we stay as the leaders, even if these other companies come in. That's so, exactly yeah.
2: right. Like when uh, the the fact that you have competition means that you're doing something right, because these companies know their stuff. They wouldn't enter like this category, yeah. let's say, if they didn't know that there's potential there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's uh, I mean, it's an exciting time for for sales and for marketing and for SaaS. So I'm I'm super excited for the future and I'm super excited to see where we are in like a year or two years. I don't know, but I'm sure it'll be amazing.
2: Let's see, maybe we'll have a a follow up episode uh, in, yeah. in, in one year's time. Uh, so uh, the last question that I have for you, as with every guest, uh, the call to action for our listeners, uh, where can people find out more about you and get in
0: touch? yeah linkedin is the best way um i'm very respondent i love to to connect <coughs> sorry so even from a yeah more a personal perspective like i try to do you know one new call with a person uh, within my network or through communities uh, just to learn brainstorm share and stuff like that so yeah you can Reach out on, on LinkedIn, you maybe mention in the notes that you heard me on the podcast. It's always nicer with the personal note as well than just a cold uh, connection request. But uh, yeah, reach out on, on LinkedIn is the best That's way. great.
2: We will drop it in the show notes. Uh, Thomas, thank you very much for being on the show. Many new things, uh, I would say, that we haven't touched on and discussed uh, previously here at the at the podcast. So thank you very much for that and looking forward to all the great things that you're going to do with um, digital sales room, this this new category in the future. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks for having me, George. It was a pleasure. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, AHS. AHS provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com/awt and sign up for free.
1: Another episode of the SAS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.